Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Well Lit Pass. In Psalm 27, David leans into the Lord, his strength, and instructs us to wait on the Lord. But first, how was your week? We've entered into a season of cooler weather here in North Texas, and I could not be more excited. Uh, I love pulling out sweaters and good hats and jackets to wear. Uh, they're comfy. They make me feel at home. So flannel season is officially here, and I am in my happy place when it comes to seasons. As we move through different seasons in our lives, some of them aren't happy places. Most of us enjoy the seasons where we feel like the sun is shining on us. The seasons in our lives when everything just seems to be going right. It's easy in those seasons to praise God, to trust Him, to be thankful. What most of us don't like are the seasons where we feel like it's winter. Like snow is all around, rain is on every side, and we can't seem to get past the gloom of our situation, the hardship that we're going through. We say, if God would just help me, I'd be able to trust him more. I've said it. You've probably said it. It's the exact opposite of what we should do, what we should say. What we should say is, I'm going to have to trust God with this entire thing. I can't see through it. I can't see around it. I definitely can't see the other side. So I'm just going to trust him more and let him lead me through. Whatever season we're in, we should trust that God has us, that he knows what we're going through, hilltop or valley, and that he's promised to never leave us or forsake us. He was our strength on the mountain. He'll be our strength in the valley. So when we hit those wintry seasons in life, maybe our best action would be to grab our fuzzy slippers, put on some flannel pajamas, and snuggle down in God's word, finding him in every season. The season that David found himself in was dire. Uh, This psalm is believed to have been written once again at the height of Saul's pursuit of David. But in true David style, he finds praise in his need, a help in time of trouble, and he refuses to be silent about it. Psalm 27, beginning in verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. 
and now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacles sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou said, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted, unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. What's our default when we find ourselves discouraged? When darkness besets us on every side, what's our cry in the night? The Lord is my light. But too often we cry, well, where is the light? Lord, I need some light. Well, look no further. Even in the darkest of dark, the light of our Heavenly Father blasts light into the room. He cannot be contained. No darkness can overcome him. So often we hide this truth under a bush of our own making. Um, I think of the song, uh, This Little Light of Mine, where we teach kids that in knowing the gospel, it's our responsibility to show it to the world. Well, I'd take that a step further and say that when we've experienced the gospel, we shouldn't forget not to hide it from ourselves either. He's given us his light the moment he saved us. He is our light and our salvation. There's no darkness, no season we may find ourselves in that he's not already redeemed us from. We so often feel like all of our troubles and trials should be just as quickly swept away as our sin at the moment of salvation. And we may say, God took care of all that in an instant. Well, surely he's going to take care of this situation in the same manner. I think the biggest challenge of our Christian life wasn't trusting him to save us. We know he worked that in us. Our biggest challenge is seeing that he wants to continually work in drawing us to him through every circumstance. That we might learn to trust him even more that we grow in our faith. Our light, our salvation, our strength. Why at the moment of salvation did we find it so obvious that we could do nothing to help ourselves, but afterward... We keep trying, uh, quote unquote, not to trouble God with our struggles. Like, well, he can take care of this sin debt, but he can't possibly take care of my credit card debt. Really? I mean, how would he take care of your credit card debt? 
Well, maybe he'd give you clarity, give you a better handle on your finances as you give them to him as you return your tithe. He could bless in your job, making it possible for you to get out of that credit card debt. It could be as simple as the realization that we're stewards of all he has given us and that high credit card debt is not good stewardship. But it's not about the credit card debt. It's about trusting in his strength over everything. He's shed light in the darkness. He's saved us to good works. He's the strength of our lives. And with that knowledge, who could we possibly fear? With God on your side, should we fear being robbed? Well, not that we would want to or that we shouldn't do what we need to to prevent it, but should we fear it? Well, God gave us all we have anyway. Could he not give us all that stuff again? And listen, please don't take this as a justification to leave all of your doors unlocked at night. There is evil in the world. Follow good practices to protect yourself against them. But should we fear them? Should we fear that we'll be killed every time we get into the car? Should we fear sending our kids to school because the world is wicked and people are depraved? Well, we should definitely do what we can to protect ourselves and our children from all the evils of this world. We shouldn't fear them. We know who holds tomorrow. We know where our eternity is. If we were taken from this world today, we would be at home with our Savior. Tell me, who should I fear with that knowledge? And David says, let me tell you what my God has done in my life. When I had some enemies, when I was met with some adversity, when the world was tearing me up as if to rip off the flesh from my bones. Oh, they, listen, they wanted to devour me. They wanted to take my very last breath. And man, it gets easy to get discouraged in the world today. It feels like Christianity comes under attack in one way or another seemingly every day. And sometimes it's not even directly. It's through the promotion and propagation of things that are distinctively not Christian. This is how we're sometimes attacked in today's society. They want to make us feel dismissed, canceled as if the truth was up for debate and our lives shouldn't be our own, and nor should our faith. And it can feel like they want to devour us to consume us from off the face of the earth. This is the veracity with which they attack us. You ever notice something? We're still here. God's word is still around. The gospel is still true and Jesus Christ still saves sinners. Name one other thing that has stood the test of time that's held up in every society throughout the ages. Every other thing has come and gone. It's been reinvented, and it's been refreshed. The depravity of this world has grown, but its desires are fickle. They change. They reimagine and reinvent the sins. They call them something else when they don't work for them. They stumble. They fall. Ha, <laughs> David says. Though an entire host surround me. Outnumbered. Ridiculed told we can't use this world or that. 
It's crept into our schools. It's even crept into our Christian institutions. The depravity we now see in a post-Christian culture has surrounded us. Make no mistake. Everyone does what their heart desires and their hearts are desperately wicked. But though we're surrounded by an army of night, the Lord is my light. Shoot an arrow of the flame of his holy word into the darkness and watch the giants fall. David had seen opposition before. He had stood in an impossible situation before because Goliath was no joke. And just like Saul wanted to give David all his armor, the armor that didn't fit, we hear, well, do you have to take a stand on that? And we hear from people, how are you going to effectively reach the world today if you don't compromise just a little? And like David, we need to say, no, this, this armor, this tactic, it, it isn't right. It's not going to work. I have God on my side after all, so my heart will not fear. There was no spirit of compromise for David in this instance. He knew the battles were lost without God as his strength. It didn't matter if the skirmish turned to a battle and the battle to a war. God had equipped him. Even in the depths of war, if all he had was a slingshot and a few smooth rocks and God, he was better equipped than any adversary that could come against him. And do we grab a hold of that promise? Well, I don't know how to deal with this issue. Well, God does. I guarantee you he's seen it before. I guarantee you he's helped someone else through it. And I guarantee you he's put people in your life specifically to be a help to you at the exact time you need it, whether you or they knew it or not. And we may say, I don't know how to get past this adversity. Well, God does. He faced the greatest adversity that could ever be faced, conquered it for us, and redeemed us from it. Why do we try to handle it alone? This can be the cause of our doubt. This is why we look at the battlefield and we feel overwhelmed. And maybe we're saying, I don't know how to overcome this sin. Well, I'll not only tell you that our God knows how, I'll tell you that he's already overcome it. Stop stewing over whether or not you can get past this season in your life and realize that there is no war that our God will not emerge the victor from. And David placed his confidence right there. David knew that God was greater than any adversary the world could throw at him. And Saul and his armies surely could have overcome David, but David knew they couldn't overcome God, whom he served faithfully. And maybe that's why we feel that fear sometimes. Maybe we know that we're not serving faithfully. Maybe we realize that there's a deficiency in our relationship with the one who saved us. Maybe we've leaned on our own strength. So yeah, we're afraid. 
I mean, without God, I have no ability within myself to withstand the armies that may come to war against me. And forgive the Lord of the Rings reference, but without God, I'm at the Battle of Helm's Deep outnumbered 100 to 1 against an army I have no hope of defeating. It's only an army I could possibly hope to hold out against for a short time. But David has the remedy for that too. He says the way he made sure he remained confident that the Lord would stay at his side, ever ready to do battle on his behalf, was his desire to be near to the Lord, his God. So close that he would live in his house all the days of his life. And the wording here implies that David wanted to be a continual guest in the house of the Lord so that he could see his glory all the time. In biblical times, especially in this period in history, being a guest at someone's house was a position of very high honor. It carried with it the understood implication that you were now their responsibility, you were under their care and protection until you left. Sometimes I think we fear the enemy because we step outside the house. We've been welcomed into the house of the Lord. We've been given his protection. Yet here we are, we follow this temptation out of the house. And we let that temptation turn into a sin. And we follow it a little further until we find another temptation. And another. And another. And before you know it, we've strayed so far from the house, from the protection of our father, that we look up and we wonder why we're surrounded by the enemy. How did we get to the middle of their camp? And then we panic and we try to fight our way out ourselves because we think God has left us there. But remember, we left the house. We left his protection. He didn't leave us. If we would have stayed in the house when the enemy came to draw us out, David said, the Lord has a safe room for us, a pavilion. This is like a well-hidden lair that only God knows about. And the enemy comes and they try to lure us out to tempt us to step outside the protection of the house, to step away from the good relationship we have our Heavenly Father. If in that moment we would just turn to him, we'd immediately be whisked away to a safe place, a secret place where we can't be touched in the moment. He sets our feet on the firm foundation of his love and he shelters us in the protection of his grace and mercy and he speaks a word to the enemy and the enemy falls. Done. Battle won. When David says he lifts his head above his enemies, it's because God has slain his enemies. They lie in a heap at David's feet. Yet David is still standing in God's strength, his head lifted up above theirs because he's the only one still standing with God. He trusted God. And isn't it exhilarating when we trust God in our battle and when all is said and done, we look and there's no one left standing against us. God was beside us. He went out before us. And because we stayed in his protection, because we dwelt in his house, he 
utterly destroyed that temptation before it turned into a sin. When we found ourselves in the enemy camp and we knew that we were the one that had led ourselves there, instead of trying to fight the battle ourselves, we immediately called out to him and he was there by our side, claiming victory on our behalf. He is swift and mighty to save if we would just call on him and then see if he doesn't lift your head up above all your enemies and then try to stop yourself from praising him. You know, in church this week, I I don't know what it was, but man, God's victorious spirit seemed to just greet me as I walked through the doors. I entered into the sanctuary to one of my favorite songs of praise playing, and I was immediately beside myself with just awe of what he's done for us. And then every word we sang in practice, every word we sang as we worshiped with our congregation just ignited this fire within me and filled me with thanksgiving for the one who saved me and fights for me. I mean, I laid every frustration of the week aside, and I stood before my God just thankful. That's not a boast on me. That's a boast on him. Because I was overwhelmed today. And David says, hey, me too. (laughs) And I say, let's get overwhelmed all the time. His grace was no more sufficient on Sunday than it was on Saturday or any day before. And his grace is no less sufficient today. So we can sacrifice our comfort because we don't want to make a scene when we praise him. We can sacrifice embarrassment because we think we don't praise as well as someone else does. We can sacrifice self on the altar of prayer for him every day, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Do we ever cry for him to hear our praise? Oh, well, we cry to him when we want delivered. We cry to him when we want forgiveness. But do we cry to him with our praise? I would say that we should lift up prayers of praise three to one more often than we lift up prayers for anything else. And I know I don't have a verse to quote you for that offset. But man, if we could praise that way, David says, just praise him, worship him. He commands it. David was interested in following the command that God gives us to worship him. And David found it easy to praise him because when God told him, hey, look to me, call on me, trust in me, learn about me, get to know me, David said, Well, Lord, if that's what you want for me, that's what I'll do. You know what he found when he did that? God didn't make himself difficult to find. God made it very clear to David where he could be found. God let David know he was always there. And David realized that God doesn't turn away from us even when we do things that would anger him. David understood that God didn't leave him when David needed help. God would never forsake him, no matter how far he ran in the other direction. No matter what situation David put himself in, 
God was right there. Why would a God so good and so righteous save us just to abandon us? Why would he promise us eternity with him in salvation and then not want to be with us every moment that we're here on earth? God wants to be the one we lean on, the one we turn to in times of trouble, and the one we praise when we've been delivered by his hand. Because he's the only one who deserves it. He's the only one that won't ever leave us or forsake us. Because let's be honest, family can. Friends can. The human heart is fickle and we are swayed so easily by our emotions. God is never changing. It's not a case of God said it and I believe it, so that's that. It's a case of God said it, done. That, that's it. He doesn't need my affirmation of his character for his character to be true. He's God. And when all others abandon us, he won't. We just need to ask him, Lord, how do I navigate through this trouble? How do I get past this sin? How do I find a way through the army ahead? And he says, listen, I've laid out a very plain and obvious path. Just follow me through it. And how silly when we stray from that path and then wonder how we were wounded and have to ask God for some healing. All because we stopped looking at where he was walking and lost sight of where we were supposed to be stepping. He has no desire to deliver us to the enemies that we face. Now, he delights in being our salvation. He gets glory when we obey him and we're able to triumph over the enemies in his power. For every cruelty the enemies have for us, for every trap they've laid for us, for every lie they've prepared to lead us astray, to lure us into an ambush, God has justice. While the world may seem cruel and unjust, God will deal with them accordingly. Now, his preference is to justify them through his son, but in absence of that, his justice will prevail. And for every trap they lay, God's made an escape. We simply need to dive into his word and, and man, be obsessed with it. Be zealous for it. It'll shed light on traps we would have never seen before if we would just learn to love his word more than the sound of our own doubt. And for every lie the world wants to tell us, God has truth. Absolute truth. We are loved we're his, we're chosen. And he wants to say that of all people, but he says it specifically over us that know him, that have been born again into his family. And no lie from the lips of man can ever triumph over the truth of eternal security in the one who set us free. And it gets difficult. It gets hard. David said he would have fainted he would have thought there was no hope. 
He would have not been able to bring himself to praise to see the victory right in front of him unless he simply believed that God could. Faith the size of the grain of a mustard seed can move mountains. And David said his faith moved the mountain of doubt in his life. That God could overcome all enemies, win all battles. He believed that even in the darkest of night, that the light of God, the salvation of his soul, the one who relieved him of all fear, would triumph over every season that he may face. So he wasn't afraid of what tomorrow would bring. Even in our darkest times, even when we don't feel like our God could possibly help in this instance, when we feel like he would be too busy to help us or this is too small or too big of a thing, when we feel like our hearts would faint, when we feel that the enemy has led us away from the house of protection, when our foot has slipped off the clear path set for us to travel, when we look and we struggle to find hope, wait. No, don't wait to see what happens. This wait is an expectant wait. This wait is biblical hope. The hope that's sure. The hope that's faithful and firm belief that it will happen. That's the wait David wants us to be doing in those times. Look to hope. Look to the author and finisher of our faith. And as we look expectantly for him to come and conquer, be of good courage. He hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. He will strengthen our heart beyond all we could imagine because he shows up every single time. We don't have to wait impatiently for him to show up. He's there in immediacy because he is Jehovah, the Almighty One, the only God. So when enemies abound and we can feel that we're beyond anything we could ever be able to handle, call on him and just wait. I guarantee you it will be an instant and God will prevail. And thanks for walking with me a while as we read the word together. Won't you join me again next week? And we'll walk just a little bit further. If you like the podcast, go ahead and hit that follow button.